You're listening to Enemies of the State. I'm Alex Hoffman, the publisher of Solrad. I'm Sarah Miller from The Sequentialist. And I'm Daniel Elkin, editor-in-chief of Solrad. Enemies of the State is a book club podcast featuring a rotating cast of comics critics. This month we're talking about Ripples by Hagiwara Rei. Published in 2020 by Glacier Bay Books, Ripples focuses on the murky space between life and death and the cyclical human emotional landscape of grief. So I wanted to start the conversation today just by talking a little bit about Glacier Bay. Glacier Bay is a, an independent or small press man, manga publisher. Um, almost said manga, which is how I <laughs> used to refer to the comics that came from Japan. Um, and this uh, manga publisher is really focusing on works by independent artists. Manga in the in Japan, I should say, to start our conversation, is generally created in one of two ways. There's a, a ra- rather large studio system that's run by the major publishing companies that has a lot of um, really arcane systems that are designed to deliver a maximum amount of pages in a short amount of time. And then you have more independent artists who are working through one of probably two major kind of focuses. Um, the first is Comiquette, which is a kind of like a show or a, um, a uh, an experience, if you will, that's centered around making uh, doujin, which is a type of comic um, that's generally focused on, let's say, works by other people. This is like fan art, basically. So you'll you'll see um, Dragon Ball Z comics, but you'll also see like Iron Man and Spider-Man comics, and these are all doujin. Um, and then you have Kamita, which is a different, uh, a, a, probably a smaller show, although I haven't been to either of them myself, so I'll have to take the word of, of folks that have. Um, but Kamita is more focused on uh, unique works, individual works, and it's more like, I, if you will, it's more like a small press expo or a TCAF um, in that way than uh, the, than Comiket is. Um, so uh, Hagiwarare, who is the author of this book, um, has participated in some anthology work with uh, Glacier Bay. They they produce a um, an anthology series called Glayola, which is uh, really widely celebrated. Um, and this is one of Glacier Bay's first releases um, as a as a full print object. Um, and so I wanted to kind of set that background because I think it's helpful um, to talk about that because a, when I think people think about manga, they think about guys punching each other and like, you know, friendship and a battle and, you know, and victory and like all this, you know, the, the cheesy Shonen Jump kind of stuff that um, that that kind of is the background of the cultural understanding of manga in, in the United States and Canada. Um, but this book clearly does not fall in any any of those usual categories. Uh, what what were your uh, Sarah and Daniel? What were your general thoughts on reading this comic from uh, Glacier Bay and Hagedewara Rei? Uh, well, I guess first off, I was just impressed with just how beautiful it was. I mean, just just the art alone. Um, it, I, not even looking at any of the text, just just going through and and just looking at the pages was a pleasure, and it really set a tone, an emotional tone, it, without knowing what was going on, just looking at the pages, uh, that that really encapsulated, I think, what the comic is trying to do. So that first uh, was my first impression. The second was I, I was reading it as a PDF and I wasn't aware that um, it was manga. So I was having some trouble because reading it as a Westerner, instead of reading it the way I was supposed to be reading it, um, made the the initial journey through it, I think, even more confusing than I, than I was expecting. So my my initial read was, this is beautiful, but I'm completely lost. And then it dawned on me, oh, this I got to read it like this. So that that helped quite a bit. 
yeah it's it's flipped you know you know and so for anyone who's not read manga before it reads i guess backwards from what you would expect um instead of reading from left to right it reads from right to left um and so and so yeah i can imagine i mean it's a it's an already an elliptical work right it's all already a kind of a a, a, a dense it's it is both dense and airy at the same time and uh and and Hagiwara does not uh, tell you what to do or what to think about. There are no, there is no handholding with this book. Um, they just drop you in and hope that you are smart enough to figure it out. Um, and so, yeah, I, I suppose that reading it backwards would make that doubly difficult. Yeah. My uh, my first impression was I I think it's the comic the comic book I've read out of all of them that has come the closest to capturing what it feels like to be asleep and dreaming. Hmm. And perhaps not while you're dreaming, but maybe just that second after you wake up and everything is there, but it's not solid. You're not quite sure what happened um, and in what order and, um, I thought it it really felt like, at least when I dream, this is what my dreams feel like. And I have quite vivid, frequent dreams. And I thought this captured that feeling perfectly. That's, and, that's fascinating because I kind of feel the same way. It's like that. It's like the glimpses of a thing and then it sort of like fades away and like you're trying to grasp at it like what was it like what is this thing that i i remember it just felt so real and now it feels like it every second it, it diminishes into some small core of a thing that maybe i remember and maybe i forget mm -hmm. i think part of the dream aspect of it also is you're not quite sure you understand what it is that you've just experienced but you understand the feeling that you had through that experience and i think this book does a really good job of that yes exactly and the the artwork does that so well too um some of the the pictures where you can kind of see in the distance it's just a few brush strokes and you can just barely make out two figures on a cliff mm. and you almost need the words to be able to tell what's going on. It's just so, so beautifully hinted at. It's, it's perfectly, perfectly done to not, it's defined just enough that you can, that you can understand it, but it's not um, I'm telling you all the details. You have to fill those in yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think to a certain degree, it, it plays on that, that human sense of so uh it, the book really i guess I'll, I'll back up quickly and say that the book doesn't really have much of a plot in the sense that you generally think of a of a book having a you know a beginning a middle or an end this certainly isn't a a book that goes through um campbell's heroic journey if you will you know um this is this is very um it's very, I guess, it's an askew glance at memory and grief, and um, I, I think uh, Hagewarare even talks about like the work being like in this, like the murky place between life and death, kind of like in the afterward. And I told uh, Daniel uh, prior to starting today that it, it, it gave me the sense of um, in in uh, Christian and Jewish theologies, there's this sense that there's this uh, place called Sheol, which is like the place of the dead. Um, and so um, that is that it kind of gives me a sense of that, um, even though it's not um, it, it, it doesn't necessarily feature that. But there is clearly um, there's clearly an element of death or a people, you know, who have passed, who are the memories of a place that kind of litter this, this kind of landscape. Um, and you're, and to get back to, to your point, Sarah, I think that, um, you're, you're absolutely right. There are these moments that are so evocative. And so it's like crystal clear what you feel, but what you're, I guess, what you're reading is driven very intensely by the 
the things that have happened in your own life, right? It feels unlike perhaps, you know, we, uh, a couple episodes ago, I think episode eight, we talked about the tenderness of stones, which was another book that is about grieving and loss. But I think that book is much more clear or focused on a specific, a specific loss, right? A specific person, a specific relationship, like um, the relationship between children and parents. And in this book, um, which is also, I think, a lot about loss and memory and grieving, it's much less about giving you a defined thing, a defined relationship to build that sense around, but rather encouraging you as the reader to introduce your own um, your own grief or your own memory of loss into the space that it makes for you as a reader. Also, I think... Go ahead. I also felt like um, with the tenderness of stone, it's a very... Um, well, just like you said, a very contained loss. It's easy to kind of put a box around it. This is the person we lost. And even though there's all kinds of um, variations to this person, it's this person we lost. And in this book, I felt like it was dealing with the loss of something that couldn't be contained at some points I felt like it was a whole community that had been lost a whole population that was lost that um, it made me think of genocide um, like the mm. Holocaust um, the um, genocide that's taken place in Canada and is still ongoing and then also I wondered about um, Hiroshima and the atomic bombs and just the complete, um, what do you do with a loss that big? And mm. I think that this book really does that well by not defining it, not making it specific because you can't really explain something that's that big of a loss. Um, yeah, that's such yeah, a beautiful point. And there are these moments in the book where there are these crowds, you know, like lines of people kind of moving through space. And it really does feel, it does feel, in those moments, it feels like it's something much bigger than, because I guess the, the, the majority of the book, you have this unnamed character who's kind of walking through space. They have this person that has that they were following who has fallen off the cliff face and then the a third person or an an object the flame um that guided their path um and those are the main characters in the book if you will but there are these moments where where you, there's this like cacophony of of individuals um even though none of them have faces and none of them have names it's very you just get this glimpse of multitudes or in in intuits this idea of multitudes um and then it, just as soon as you intuit that it, it it pulls back away from that and back towards the more concrete um and you see these glimpses of like house living like oh a person going to buy you know some rice cakes or um you know going to a house and seeing a specific scene in their memory um and then it immediately pulls back to that more elliptical um, very, not, I guess, not generic, that's not the word I'm looking for at all, like not um, not detailed, just more universal storytelling, if you will. There, do you think maybe there's uh, a connection that the artist is trying to make between the personal and the universal then, that, that even a personal loss just fits into a larger continuum of loss? I think I think that's definitely an argument that the work is making that that everything you know I think um, one of the things that I think this this comic really gets at is this idea that um, there's this um, that the overarching structure of grief is a is a cycle you know 
as you go through the process of of losing and remembering and reliving and losing and remembering and reliving and and how that doesn't you know that the the grief that we feel when someone passes or leaves our lives doesn't necessarily get better right it just becomes more known right it becomes more tolerable right the 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 sadness or the the loss that you live with does not ease up um but it becomes more familiar like an old wound if you will like it's a you know it's it's a scar that you're aware of you know and it may still ache from time to time but it's you know you've lived with it long enough now that you don't remember life without it um and i get that sense from this book quite a bit this idea mm-hmm. of it doesn't get better necessarily but it it becomes more bearable mm-hmm. And, I, and, and I'm not trying to say that it's a depressing work either. I don't get that. I don't, I don't feel, I don't like, it didn't make my, it didn't make me feel like, like I, tenderness of stones made me, made me feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I felt, I felt, you know, I, it, it, it was a, it was a, a book that made me sad. And I think, um, I think you can certainly get that from ripples, but for me, I almost what I got from it, it was a sense of wonder, a sense of, um, again, a, a sense of universality, if you will, just like you kind of mentioned, Daniel, a universality of all things, like that all, that all things are created, um, and that all, or not, maybe not created, but all things go through that same, you know, that same, that same process, that same continuum. I would say though, this is a, there's a weight to it though this book i i i don't think that uh, there's a, a heaviness and I don't, I don't know what the word is really but but just the the art and the way that the well, at least the translation is how the 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 words are, are very succinct and very short little pieces of of text it just there there is a, a almost like a burden that you're carrying throughout um, and I don't know if there's resolution at the end from that. Um, it seems that that's just, it just is throughout the piece. And I, and I don't think it's depressing, but it presses. Mm, in a way. Yeah. Like it, it, you're, you're right. There is a heaviness to the, and I think a lot of that may be the visual aspects. Sarah kind of touched on this, how beautiful, you know, how, how the brushstrokes kind of like, um, emphasize the weight of the thing and this is probably a good time to talk about the the fact that there are two different versions of this book Um, one that was printed offset uh, classic traditional printing and then another which was uh, risograph printed um, by i believe cold cube press which i believe is based out of portland uh no i'm sorry seattle based out of seattle um and so you have these two different, very different reading experiences based on the version that you have. I am lucky to have both. Daniel read the black and white, the offset print, and I believe Sarah just read the uh, risograph print. Um, and so the way that you experience this work even can be, I think this is a great, it's a great example of how works can be experienced in different ways, just based on the printing techniques and, and because the, the, the heavy dark black inks that you see in the offset print version of this are not in the risograph uh, book, but there are color changes in the risograph printing that you don't see in the other book. And that gives some of the scenes a very different uh, perspective and feel. Yeah. I I wasn't aware that there was sort of a quote unquote color version of this. Uh, And when you showed me those pages, I was just, it is, it's a completely different experience. And I'm wondering which one, I mean, if there was a preference on the part of the artists as well. That's, um, a, that's a great question. I I suppose we could reach out to the publisher of Glacier Bay and ask. That that might be something worth uh, worth exploring, but I, uh, in, in postulating now, I'm not sure that, that we have, we'll be able to get that answer. I, no. I I'm sure that you know, it's. It, I'm not sure of anything actually with this book, <laughs> so I should not. I should not use that phrase. I'm sure, but I. I think. I think that that 
clearly the artist has had to have some sort of input on the color choices. Um, and so I, I think that because when, when you're printing an risograph, you're printing color separations, essentially. And this book is relatively simply printed in the sense that um, there are two colors and one, which is kind of like this teal color is printed the vast majority of the book and the, but there are specific pages where it has this like orange uh, like tangerine color um and so the so the separations if you will are just those two different colors and so for a for a, you could easily do that with a black and white essentially just convert one of the black and white images to one type of ink and the other to the other type and so you could easily take a black and white image if you will um and convert that into multiple colors just by using those color separations um which is a fancy way of of saying that with risograph you can kind of print whatever whatever color you want and just kind of make things up and i'm i'm fairly certain that the publisher didn't make that decision by themselves you know i would hope not yeah i I mean who who knows but i I assume that they didn't i assume that they got the input of the artist on that and that that was directed by the artist but it certainly changes things quite a bit sarah does um thinking about kind of in that middle of the book where you see that big old swath of of that tangerine color um what were your you know reading it in two different ways i just got this very different sense what were what was your sense of that of that the flame character and using that dark uh, or not dark but the tangerine color in the middle um what were your thoughts there well it, it did it's kind of obvious i guess the cold color and the warm color it completely gave different temperature feels it, the fact that it's a flame as well makes heat um so it really well for me the biggest thing was when i was imagining the story in my head and it goes from cold to warm Mm. and you can see the heat reflected on um i guess what we'll call the protagonist's face at some points and um I think for me that was that was the biggest difference, which is, I mean, red for warm, blue for cold, but it, it works really well and it's very effective because the red is used quite sparingly. Mm-hmm. Um, it really has an effect. It's not something that you see on every page or every second page. So when it does pop up, it's very striking. Yeah. I, I agree. There's there's this one page kind of almost in the middle of the book, the spread that catches me every single time. And it's I think it's kind of probably the um, it's, if you will, the thesis of the book is this um, the flame character grabs on and holds the face of the main character and says, um, what do I do with all of this sorrow? Um, and and before that starts a question, all these emotions where can I return these feelings? And it sort of gets at this idea of, of loss and sense of, of being unmoored, if you will, in time and in place. And, and there's no good answer to that question. The, the book just kind of fades off. The character um, just absorbs that question. They don't answer it. They just live with it. Um, they, the, the only thing that they can say is that they can't answer the question, but they say none of these things will be forgotten. I, I can't answer that question. What do I do with all this sorrow? I can't answer that, but I can tell you that I won't forget. And I think that is that is something that I think that the work really, um, really grapples with for the vast majority of the book. It's an enormously powerful question. I mean, just the words together, mm. just just hearing you say that out loud again just it's just like again the weight of a question like that uh there's no way to ask that question without so much heart behind it and so much weight behind it Mm. um yeah and and we should uh, credit the translator who worked on this anna schnell um 
I, I can't imagine that this was an easy book to translate given the, um, given the, the intensity of the emotions and the kind of vagueness of the storytelling. I imagine that this was a relatively difficult book to publish or to, to translate and then to publish. I'm actually curious to ask both of you, since you both read uh, the black and white version and the color version, is was there a preference? Did you have a preference? Um, for me, I would say, you know, I that's a great question. So um, one of the things I noticed in the black and white version of the book is that, and Sarah mentioned this as well, um, is that the intensity of the color in the black version, the intensity of the blacks is so much more noticeable. Risograph at at different at the at the deeper layers of tone starts to lose um its oh, what's the word um definition no that's not right like granularity or it's uh, you know the the ability to differentiate between things i guess um so the deepest tone in risograph and like the third deepest tone are not that different or are not as easy to see the gradations there. Um, but in the awesome print, it's so easy to tell um, the, the depth of the, of the black inks. And I assume that um, Hagewara Rei is working with like, um, if I had to guess, I would say it's either watercolor or it's wet ink it's wet you know with a brush um but you can really see the depth of the pooling black ink in the in the offset version um i that said i love the 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 color in the color version because it adds additional meaning to a mm -hmm to a, a story that is a little light on telling and a lot a very heavy on showing um so those context clues can sometimes be really really helpful um so i couldn't honestly tell you which one i like better um they're both beautifully produced books i will say that like the cover stock on both is quite nice uh, it's a matte finish um really heavy paper stock um, the printing um, the, of the Risograph is very well done. Cold Cube out of Seattle did a great job. The offset press also looks quite nice. Um, so from an actual, one of the things I love about books is that you get to actually put your hands on them. Um, so uh, the design and, 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 uh, and materials used are quite nice. So I, you know, so I don't know, jury's out, I guess. <laughs> How about you, Sarah? I actually haven't read the black and white one. I've just read the um, the Risso one. So, but I I'm very curious to see um, now that I've kind of seen a few a couple of the pages of the black and white one to read it as well and see if I get a different impression from the story. Yeah, I'm intrigued to look at the the Risograph one now. Well. Next time we're in the same convention hall, Daniel, I'll make sure I bring this book so you can read it. Um, I think, I think, you know, one of the things I think that the black and white version does so well is it, it expresses that sense of depth. That's that sense of, of universality or the infinite, right? Like that everything is possible because it's so, you know, that, that there's all this darkness, but the light comes out of the darkness. Um, and in the risograph, you know, you have these beautiful colors and the, the, the color choices are quite nice, but you don't really get that with the, like the teal, um, that that they use as the base color for the the risograph book. So I, that's I, that's I notable. Wonder, I wonder if because I read the risograph book that really increased my impression of it being like a dream because everything is. Um, I'm looking for the right word, uh, kind of fuzzy and mm. tonal and um, kind of all blends together there's not a lot of contrast except when they bring in the um orange tangerine color yeah that's that's a good point because risograph does have its you know it has its printing issues right um the which is the, part of the charm i yeah, think but. right and I, I think probably the version that i have and the version you have are very very close but they're probably not the same um and there's a, a sort of sense of i guess fuzziness with risograph printing that um 
that I think is that's it's it's charming, but it also leads to a lack of fidelity. That's the word I was looking for, fidelity. Um, that you can really clearly see in the offset print. Um, so those those changes between tones are much easier to see. And I think it it's certainly reading both. I I get the same sense of feeling, but I will say that the black ink has more of a um, I guess a finality, if it, if you will, it feels more um, sorrowful. Maybe it's just the yeah. color. Maybe just yeah. maybe that's just what it is. Um, there's a like there's a buoyancy. Like you're right. Like a, a buoyancy or like a dreamlike state to having that teal be the base color. That I hadn't really until you had said something. I hadn't really thought about that. But I think there's a, a connection there. Yeah, maybe the the offset printing is darker in tone then uh if that makes sense i mean both figuratively and literally you mean yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. that could be it could be that's very hmm. interesting yeah. uh, i wanted to ask both of you your thoughts generally on the character of the flame because that's a character that seems to both embody both a both a an actual spirit or a person in in some way but then also the actual physical element of fire at, at other at other points i'm kind of wondering i had i had, i guess some trouble trying to parse out what what that character meant in the grand scheme of the narrative and i was kind of wondering if you had any uh insights that's the one that made me wonder about um the the bombs the atomic bombs mm. um there's one page where um this is one of the few times where the flame is in human form mm -hmm. and um i'm not sure if it's she they um we'll go with they they sounds good they, they um say dark clouds came and completely covered the whole area most everyone was swallowed up by the dark clouds i was too but i remain here still as the flame i am now yeah in the space between life and death which really makes me think uh, brings to mind again an unspeakable tragedy and this person is now stuck in the place where it happened and can't move on. Can't. Yeah. It, it almost, it, you know, I, thinking about it from that perspective, I think makes a lot of sense when you, there's another section in this, in the risograph version, the text is in orange. So it's from in the voice of the flame. And it says, I stand in the light. I have been here since the beginning and it says some things, but then at the end it says, now I have become flame. And that also sort of speaks to this idea of the evap, you know, essentially this idea of, um, you know, the nuclear bomb detonating and all those people bur being burnt alive. You know, there's um, that, that unspeakable tragedy and horror. Um, so I'm not sure that it's, you know, there's definitely a linkage there. I'm not sure if it's intentional or not, but it, it, that it does, it does feel like there's something there, doesn't, doesn't it? And maybe this is just a Western perspective. Maybe it's just, you know, our perspective of Japanese life and, and, and cultural memory. So I, I don't want to put too much stock in that, but also I think that there is, there is some, the tonal material there along with the color choices that really bring that to the forefront of my my perception I, I was sort of seeing the <clears throat> flame character as more of a spiritual um entity that that sort of was taking on all the sorrow and the grief and the memories and the loss and all this those sorts of rather powerful things and not necessarily giving it purpose but giving it a voice and so I, I didn't, once again, there's so little resolution in this work that that I don't know that it was pointing to anything other than sort of, I'm here, 
kind of thing. Hmm. Well, it's it's interesting because the flame is both a character that the main character, the unnamed main character, interacts with quite a bit, but then also is the leading is the is the thing that leads the path is the the thing that lights the way to show you where to go. Um, and the main character at one point at the very beginning of the book pleads with the flame, please stay, please stay with me at least until, until I fall asleep. Um, and the flame goes and then comes back. So there's, there seems to be, if perhaps the flame is, um, almost kind of like the, uh, is the ferryman across the river sticks, right? Like this idea perhaps of a, uh, a, a guide or, um, a, a person that is there to, you know, lead from one state, the, the wayfarer, I guess, between one stage and the next. Yet it still seems to embody an experience also. Mm. Yeah, so it's, it, that's true. That's true. And there's, there's yeah. clearly motion and there's clearly like, there's the sense of deepness that you get from the work. Like mm -hmm. the, there are these pages and especially you can see this in the black and white version. I'm like grabbing that off of my desk to look at it again. There's pages where it's just, it seems like just clouds, like, you know, and it looks like um, the artist has rippled the ink across the page with just a wet brush and just let it dry like that. And so you get these really evocative looks and they, and it's hard to tell, is this a landscape? Is it a soundscape? But it, you feel the the denseness of it. You feel the intensity of it without really truly understanding what it is. Um, and that's all part of the overarching thrust of the emotional content of the work is you just these these dense dark images where it's it's very much a lot of mark making and not a whole lot of meaning making. You you mentioned the word ripple, which of course is the title, yeah. and I was I was um, I was trying to figure out why that's the title, and I, I I don't have an answer other than maybe that this each little event sends ripples, each moment of grief sends ripples, each moment of loss sends ripples, but but that's not really. I, I I didn't land there. I I yeah. just sort of just said, yeah, okay, maybe that's what that is. But one I, thing I really liked about the title "Ripples" is, and and the, one thing we haven't talked about too much is how um, the story talks a lot about memories of place and being somewhere. Like the flame is there and doesn't leave but you mentioned Alex about it being like a guide so it guides other people who come and go and a, a ripple is kind of the the perfect description of movement in place like it's mm. the water is moving up and down but it's not going somewhere it's um I th so I thought that was I, I really like the title for that reason that you you get the sense that this flame is being affected by the ripples of the people who are passing through but not going anywhere and they kind of make a mark but then it fades away again and um, maybe the like we've said the the ending is really um, ambiguous and I I like it that way but maybe the protagonist moves on and that yeah. ripple eventually settles into stillness as well yeah and I, there's something to be said about just like the idea of the ripple right showing you the center of a thing right it doesn't you what the ripple shows you is where things began right but it doesn't but it doesn't necessarily indicate where things end right um and those are these are all thoughts that I had because I was you know I was in your same boat, Daniel. I'm like, well, there's nobody in the book named Ripple, so <laughs> it's like looking for a you know looking for a, a really stock and and uh, stock answer in this book is going to do you no favors, I think. But I I I like that I I like your thought process, Harris, specifically. I think that's yeah. such a that's such a beautiful way to look at this work. And you do have to kind of like, you know, 
one of the things I'm struggling with perhaps with this book is this, you know, this, this, um, perhaps my, like my Judeo-Christian backgrounds understanding of the cycle of life and death, right? And I wonder if the, um, the cultural background of the artists plays a, a different role when it comes to the, this material, because I, you know, in the Judeo-Christian, um, context, um, death is, you know, there's, there's the big party after dying, right. Or like, or the, the big, the hole in the ground that everybody goes to for being bad or whatever, like, which is all, uh, excuse me, bullshit. But, um, but, um, you know, those are, those are things that are like highly ingrained in Western culture, right? Like the, you know, the, the punishment for sinners and the, you know, reward for, you know, for the, the worthy blah, blah, blah. And, 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 Eastern religions, there's more of a sense of connection with others and a cycle of life as opposed to, um, or like a circle rather than, rather than an up and a down, right? You know, it's, there's no terminal axis there, you know, it's just a, it's just a cycle. Um, and perhaps, you know, perhaps the word ripples comes from that too, right? That, that the ripple is always a circle. Generally, it's always a, at least if not a circle, then an ellipsis where everything is connected in, inside of it. I'm not sure if there's a question there. Uh, <laughs> I actually don't think I did. I don't think I asked anything, but what do you think? Do you think that that holds any water? Like this, I, I, I'm, we're just going to go with the water puns now. Um, th this idea of like, uh, uh, potentially that there's, there may be some, you know, barriers um, culturally because of the, because of just the, the difference, you know, at least I feel like maybe there's a barrier there on my end. I'm trying to, I'm trying to suss that out and see it, but it, I think it's so deeply ingrained in who I am and my upbringing that it's hard for me to see. Um, it's yeah. hard for me to, to get a good sense of. Yeah. I mean, I would, I was thinking about the, the flame character again. I would, that's why I was drawn to spirituality because we, we often see deity as um, showing up as flame in our tradition. Um, and so, yeah, I think it, because there's no specificity in this book, it requires us to bring our experience to it. And so I think that our reading of it is probably, probably going to be different than um, somebody who comes from a different culture than us. Yeah. That's, but I think I yeah, think there's sure. a universal there's a universality to the idea of loss and dealing with the idea of loss, but how it is framed in this book is I think wildly up to interpretation. Hmm. I agree. I agree. There is you know this sense of of the unfinished in this book. You can even kind of get that in some of the images. I think they are mm -hmm. very intricately made. Um, and made sometimes to look as though they are in, I guess they are in process, right? Yeah. Like some of some of the splashes of ink look like um, the artist dashed it off, kind of, and was like, okay, that's it. It looks like it's it, it's a work in progress. That's how I want it to look like, um, or it looks kind of rough, and that's good. Um, so you get this sense of like continuously making, continuously changing um but stuck in this moment and uh, that we're experiencing in, in, in the work yeah. one of the things i wanted to kind of also talk a little bit about are these you know in interspersed between all of the and and sarah talked about this quite a, a little bit is this like interspersed between all these kind of, I guess, spiritual moments, this, are these really embedded, like, um, physical places, right? Like mm -hmm. the, like the corner store, like the convenience store, um, where the main character buys two rice balls, like a, an image of a family, uh, a, a vase um, with flowers in it. There's a painting hanging on the wall with a, a bookshelf. And there's this really, there's 
for a moment you see these like really defined places and then that all evaporates again into nothingness and and i'm kind of wondering is that the author's own experience of grief and loss kind of bring, coming to the forefront or are those things yet another symbolic um material what do you what do you think what's your what's your general opinion of those scenes it could be specific but things that are specific that would be specific to many many different people Mm. um like there's one scene where they, they i'm not sure if it's the flame talking i think it is and they're just mentioning objects and it's photos a painting hanging on the wall books flowers they were all here definite memories of life and and all those things like books paintings flowers are things that many people across the world would have in their home that could relate to but at the same time like you were saying alex it leaves just enough up to interpretation to that each person will say oh that specific painting i have on my wall and will fill in with the books on their shelves and the photos on their um coffee table so i think i think that's really i don't want to say cleverly done i think it's really really well done in that it um, is specific but universal like you've mm. mentioned it it evokes it evokes a sense of specificity without being specific essentially mm-hmm. and and one of the things that the next page flip as you look at it they say this was a quiet place a place where many happy things and many sad things happen and it's like well, isn't that a you know, essentially that's home. Like that's what home is, you know? And so we're bringing that to the kind of forefront um, as the characters trudge through the seemingly endless blanket of snow, as they walk together, as the flame guides the character um, forward um, through this blizzard. Daniel, what do you think? I, I I was thinking that all the places in the, a uh, book somehow had a place uh, a sense of permanency but also were associated with loss as well um specifically like the convenience store the she buys the rice balls but then loses one mm. um and can't find it and comes back to try and find it <laughs> everything is transient in a way even something as uh, you would think as solid as place still has uh, a sense of loss around it a little bit. And you can, you can, that's a great point because you can see like the books don't have titles. The, the faces of the people in those places are not defined. They're just, they're just kind of shapes, you know? And so again, I think it, you, you're, you're right. It, it does speak to that, that sense of, of loss it does speak to that sense of um of lack of definition i guess that that leads to you know that leads to this sense of uh, over our overarchingly the sense of universality to the work and impermanence yeah, I'm yeah. just in just this general weight of impermanence it's, it's really a it's really i'm really glad that that uh, we got a chance to look at this book. I really am, uh, because I don't. I I know I would not have come across it on my own, and it was really it was an experience that, especially given all that's going on in the world right now, um, gave me a, a a quiet pause to reflect upon the enormity of loss that's going on, and so I was appreciative of that. Yeah, that's that's such a good point because I don't think, you know, we're, you know, in Nor- in the United States alone over 600,000 people have died from coronavirus. Um and as a culture, we have not 
really reckoned with that in any kind of way. And it's, you know, and it's, and, and because of, you know, care hoarding and, and vaccine shortages and other issues, people across the world are much worse affected than here. Um, And we've not dealt with that trauma. I don't think in any major way. And I do think that this book has given me a chance to, like you said, reflect on kind of the intensity of the moment in which we're living in. And certainly, and perhaps if it was published, you know, 10 years ago, maybe we would not, you know, we would think about it in a different light, you know, (laughs) but I think we're bringing, you know, as readers and as critics, we're bringing this, what we're living through now, we're bringing ourselves to the work as well. And I don't think you can read this book outside of the context of, of the coronavirus pandemic. I just don't think it's possible. I agree. Yeah. I also agree. And it's and that's nodding my head. Yes, it, which is you know I do that all the time. That's why I try to say hmm when I'm when, <laughs> when we're talking. That way you all know that I'm not just nodding my head because otherwise you know because no one can see that no one can see that on on the podcast. Um, I coming across this work. Um, I, I kind of wonder what your thoughts are, generally speaking, like, Daniel, I know that, for example, you're not re- much of a manga reader. I, I, I've been probably the only uh, force in your life that has uh, asked you to, to actually read comics from the, uh, the Japanese tradition. And I, and I wonder, you've seen kind of like the really highly polished stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, dear listener, I have forced Daniel to read uh, a bride story, um, which is a great comic, which you should read. Um, yes. But um, that work is so, so in place, right? It's yeah. such, it, it is in such a time and place and it has such a specific um, feel to it. And that is the, while it's not, it's not the classic, um, studio-driven manga, it is quite a bit, bit much more like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm wondering, now seeing this piece, what are your thoughts more generally about the comics that are coming out of Japan? Um, well, like I said, I think earlier, that I, I didn't realize that that's what this was, right? I, I didn't realize that this was manga. And um, once that once I realized that, then I then that just opened up so much more, and so now I'm very intrigued as to what's going on uh, in that world, especially in terms of uh, I don't remember the terms that you were using, but these these sort of these individual works of art that are with still within a, the tradition to a degree, but but using the tradition as a platform for their own individual take, right. Um, yeah, this. I mean, yeah, it was a beautiful book. Beautiful good, book. good. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad we were able to convince you to, to read it. Um, <laughs> it. You know, I, I think this is. I think this is one of the things that I'm really excited about um, from Glacier Bay. And this is not a, a plug for them as a publisher at all. Um, just to say that, I think one of the things that we don't have a good grasp on in the United States is the or i get maybe perhaps north america is the the comics cultures in other places we get a really we get a really uh i guess forty thousand foot view level of it like i can see what books get published in japan in a paperback right um if i'm looking for that and i and i can tell what's popular based on what publishers in the United States decide to license. Um, but I don't get a sense of the unique and individual pockets of the art movement that make up a lot of my um, reading in the United States comic scene. Like I spend a lot of time reading small press books and books that may have print runs of 500 or a thousand. Um, and one piece has what 40 billion you know what however many copies in print right so you know of course the mass market stuff is going to look and act differently than things like ripples but but i appreciate the fact that glacier bay has opened the window 
to a certain degree to this part of of Japanese comics that I don't think I would have otherwise been able to see. Yeah, I wish I wish there was more access to um, s- small press, self-published work across the globe. Um, we really, my experience has been pretty narrow. Um, mostly America, England, Canada, um, and but there's so much more going on. Right? And so every time I get access to a little piece of it, such as this, um, I'm so grateful uh, because there's so much amazing stuff going on worldwide. Mm-hmm. It just, I think it goes to show you that comics as an art form has so much to give. And there's only, you know, and even even though it's not a very large art form, there's still so much that we can't see as a specific audience in a specific place. Um, and so for all those publishers that are opening up doors in the small ways that they can, I think that's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Any uh, any final thoughts on on this work or on on the the book Ripples or the work of Glacier Bay? Any final thoughts, Sarah? I loved the book. I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. I agree both with um, both you and Daniel said about how it's provided a place to kind of pause and think about all the loss that's been happening over the past 18 months um, specifically. And it is it does feel like a pause when you read it. You, you really have to slow down and take everything in. Um, you can't just read the words and glance at the picture and you, you have to just kind of absorb it because there's not a lot of detail to scour through. There's not a lot of writing to, to read. So it's really reading this book to me felt like absorbing more than reading and it was a very nice break from everything well at the same time making me think about everything so i don't know yeah, yeah. how good of a break it was but yeah but a, a, i, I love the book i thought a place it was for fantastic. reflection right yeah a place yes. a place for yes. refre- reflection which i think more people need you know sometimes we need the the time to to sit and and reflect on what's going on Daniel, any final, any other final thoughts? Um, I guess I was thinking that a lot of the books that we've looked at in this uh, series has have been there've been some hard subjects that we've uh, had to explore uh, because the work lent themselves to those subjects. This one was a hard subject, certainly, but it was sort of a gentleness to it that I appreciated. I didn't. I didn't leave this experience reading this book going, oh, fuck, another. (laughs) It was, this was, this was like, like Sarah was saying, it was, that pause was, it was, it was welcomed. Uh, Even though it's difficult, it was sort of a welcomed thing where I didn't feel that I needed to have a resolution. I didn't feel that I was being beaten over the head by anybody or anything. It was just a, a sort of an acknowledgement, but just sort of a soft acknowledgement, even though it was, there was a heaviness to it. It wasn't overwhelmingly heavy. And so I appreciate that very yeah. much. Yeah. I think you're right. At thinking about the last few, uh, last few books that we've, uh, we've reviewed on this show. It certainly, you know, you're, you're right. We have really dug into some darker theme perhaps as, uh, benefits this time in our lives. Um, but I think you're right. This, there is a softness and a gentleness to, to this book, even as it deals with a, an incredibly human and an incredibly difficult topic. So, well, with that, I think we'll wrap up. And you've been listening to Enemies of the State, um, and we've been talking about Ripples by Hagiwara Rei, uh, published in 2020 by Glacier Bay Books. Um, and uh, and for now, I am Alex Hoffman, the publisher of Solrad. I'm Sarah Miller from The Sequentialist. And I'm Daniel Elkin, editor-in-chief of Solrad. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. Uh, we're available on our website at www.soulrad.co. And you can find the, uh, the the website and our social media pages at instagram.com slash 
Field Mouse Press. Um, you can also find us at Solrad, um, basically anywhere you look. Um, and if you have questions, please feel free to reach out. We'd love to get your feedback on the show or the website or anything you'd like to tell us. Um, you can email me at publisher at solrad.co. Until then, I've been your host, and it's been a pleasure as always. We'll look forward to talking to you soon. Take care.